0: Welcome to Exceptional Leaders, a podcast series showcasing exceptional leaders in the business community who are doing interesting, exciting, and innovative things throughout North America. This series is powered by Forward Path Group, leaders in executive search, outsourced human resources, and assessments. Welcome, everyone, to
1: the Exceptional Leaders podcast, powered by Forward Path Group, leaders in executive search, recruitment, and outsourced HR. This is the series where we put a spotlight on exceptional leaders and spend time understanding more about them, their leadership, their successes, and their challenges. My name is John Watts, I'm one of the founders of Ford Path Group and your host today. I'm so pleased to have an absolutely exceptional leader today join me. His name is Mr. Kirk Sargentson. Uh, Kirk is the Chief Information Officer at Arbor Memorial, a Canadian company engaged in providing internment rights, cremations, funerals, and services for thousands of families each year across Canada. First established in 1947, the company is now comprised of dozens of cemeteries close to a hundred funeral homes. They're going through a significant change management process in terms of digital. I'll let, and but I'll let Kirk get into that a little bit later on this podcast. Kirk, welcome to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, and thank you for joining me today.
0: Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Good morning, and uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. Awesome. So let's get into this. It's
1: a, a bright fall morning this uh, in Ontario here. Um, first of all, just, you know, I, I gave a um, a brief overview of what you're currently doing now and why I think your passion around creative thinking and innovation is important. But maybe just give a, a little background on yourself, a few minutes, where you came from. I know you're back at pure later
0: days and then in the transportation industry. So give us a little overview of uh, who you are. Sure. And I don't mean to go back too far, but I think it's sort of relative to some of the commentary you were giving on my background, but um, you know, I graduated from university with a kinesiology visual arts degree, which seemed really weird at the time, but uh, will make sense as I kind of go through my history. Um, coming out of university, worked for Loomis, and uh, Loomis Courier at the time was the fourth largest transportation company in Canada. Started off in sales, but during that time, got a real passion for IT and started taking programming courses on the side and, um, you know, really getting into the technical pieces of um Of the business. So, uh, job posting came up for an analyst within IT, and I applied for it. And, uh, you know, the first huge lesson I got um, as a leader or as a potential budding leader was uh, I was up against a few engineers, did not have an engineering degree. And um, so, to compensate for that, I went to the warehouse to hang out with the warehouse staff to understand the technology uh, that was being evaluated in in this job posting and, um, you know, spent hours out there working with them, working with the technology, um, coupling that with some of the technical background I accumulated through education. And when I went for the interview, um, I was up against, I guess, five engineers. And uh, and I when I started talking about the tech, they're like, oh my gosh, you're an expert. Like, you've got the job. It was almost like immediate. Really? And when I, when I got out of the interview, the inter- engineers were like, Like they're all making fun of me. Like, why did you even apply? You don't have the credentials. And so I took that as a bit of a challenge. And as I, as I stepped out, I got the job and they were just mind blown. But you know, there, there was the first huge lesson for me as a leader is never take things for granted. Uh, There's always learning and you can learn from uh, operations, right? So completely separate uh, piece of the organization, but sitting there on the warehouse floor Working with with everyone and and understanding and talking, you know, I just gained so much about the organization that I was perceived as this expert, and I really wasn't. It was just, you know, probably a cumulative six hours of of uh, warehouse work. But uh, so I started there, I did real well at at Loomis, and then went to Purelater. I was recruited away by Purelater to um, to do what I'd done at Loomis, which was deploying the sophisticated technology and generating revenue. I'd come out of Loomis, generated about $10 million in, in revenue recovery through the implementation of this technology, and then got to PureLator. Uh, they said, you know, hey, come over. We want you to do the same thing over here. I said, great. I got in, and uh, that was just an interesting uh, time at PureLator. When I got in, they said, OK, Kirk, our, our revenue stream is $50 million. You need to get to $56 million. And I said, OK. Uh, and then walked around the entire country and, and looked at all the technology and said, look, it, I think there's $100 million here. And of course, that was counter to what the business had established. So they were like, there's not 100 million, there's 56. Would you stop talking about 100? And uh, John, as you might know, I'm a little bit obsessive. <laughs> and I just kept talking about, <laughs> yeah. it. and they kept saying, be quiet and just get 56 million. So I achieved the 56 million. And then I just kept saying there's 100. And so finally, uh, another great moment in my career and a great leadership learning um, was sitting down with the COO. And he said, you know, you've been doing a lot of talking. We're going to give you $600,000 to invest. If you uh, can achieve the goals, you'll have a great career. And if not, you might as well get your resume cleaned up, which is a pretty daunting uh, conversation. I was still fairly young and I was like, okay, well, uh, give me the money. We'll see what we can do. And, you know, we went from 56 million to 65 to 80 and finished about $125 million in revenue recovery. And that was net new EBITDA. So that was that was money the company didn't have that was going straight to the bottom line. Awesome. Yeah, it was a really neat, and with that came new responsibilities and new promotions. And uh, until I sort of peaked, I think at Purelator, and thought, okay, I'll go, I'll go uh, look out elsewhere. And um, you know, I was getting a lot of calls to come and and work on IT departments for other companies. Um, one thing I didn't mention, you along know, the thing away with Purelator, we'd achieved four patents as a company. They were the first patents Purelator had ever gotten. And a lot of that came from creative problem solving. So, um, you know, one of the big moments I think for me at PureLighter was the CEO came into my office and Kirk, we need to, we need to re-weigh and and scan all the mail, which was a really difficult process. Uh, if anyone knows transportation, it's you know you're either buying a multi million dollar machine or you're just using scanners. Anyway, go through the process. We'd invented a new device, got got it patented, and generated seven and a half million dollars from it. So that that was just a really neat experience where you're given a task, and you're forced to think through it in a creative way. And the whole time, you know, I wasn't really focused on it, but that visual arts degree that I mentioned seemed to come in real handy. And I think, you know, that whole perspective on leadership and creativity, you know, I think as leaders we're forced. Um, to, to really achieve results. And I think the only way to do that is to think differently than, than others who came before you. And, and, and that was where I seemed to have a little bit of an advantage. Um, but yeah, getting through PureLater, then uh, took on some uh, vice president roles within the IT space, uh, leading into um, a really fun venture, which is with DICOM. We were owned by private equity, there was a four year horizon for sale. So I kind of had this time frame to say, get in. Make a big difference and increase the value of the organization which seemed to be the most um, interesting and uh, like almost linear perspective on how much value you can bring to an organization. You know you step in in 2014 and you step out in 2018 and in 2014 the company's worth x and in 2018 it's got to be worth x plus whatever and uh, it was worth the company I think was worth six times its original price when we left. And a lot of that had to do with IT and taking risk and being innovative and being creative. So, um, you know, leaving that, that position really took all those learnings from Loomis and Purelater, and sort of magnified them a bit saying, okay, now I'm, you know, I know I'm creative, right? I, I think figure out problems. How do I get a whole team on board to think that way? And that was a long iterative process, right? Because you know, you step in and people are stuck in the way it was, and we don't do things that way. And you can't come in and say, well, you know, we're changing. So that was a slow process. And a lot of it was leading by example, showing people there's new ways, getting them engaged. Um, You know, we've done some reward and recognition for sure to get people out there. Uh, I had, I'd brought people into board meetings with me and said, Hey, present on this new technology. So really showing everyone on the team that, you know, if you, if, if you're creative and you're innovative and you take chances um it's not just you know a pat on the back there's there's more to it that can help your career and get you going so that was a really neat process that I think took all those learnings and and forced me to sort of take them to the next level and then from there I got to Arbor and Arbor was was really interesting in that uh it was a very much an altruistic decision making process where uh we had a death in our family and um we went to Arbor for the service. And, uh, and so I was there. And at the same time I was being recruited away by them to come and and, uh, help with their digital transformation. And, you know, I, at first I was like, Oh, you know, I'm a transportation guy. I've been doing transportation for 20 some odd years. Um, this is a weird place to go. But, um, after, after going through what I went through, I thought, you know, it just seems like um, the right place to be right now. And as I got into Arbor, Again, you know, we talked about change management a bit, and about changing people's perspectives. Holy moly. So uh, very traditional organization, uh, very much this is the way we do things, you know, we can't change. And I've been uh, challenged with a digital transformation. And so, again, taking all those learnings from DICOM and and from Purelater and from Loomis, I really had to, again, multiply them by even a bigger factor to make inroads at Arbor. Um, to date, you know we've done our, a pretty awesome digital transformation. We''ve re- revamped all the systems. Um, we've automated a lot of stuff. we've created a better customer experience, uh, but it came at, at great pains trying to get not only my team on board with the change, but now I was now I was reaching into the rest of the organization and trying to get them to change as well. And that was really a, a difficult process. but you know through, I guess, you know, through a good change management pro, uh, processes, good communication, reward and re- recognition, we're now sort of changing that organization in a very positive way. But again, it, every every time it seems like an accepting new challenge, it's just we have to take it up a level because of how intense the aversion to change and creativity is. Yeah, I- interesting is sort of
1: you know, the concept of exponential learning, right? So you've gone through multiple phases, all in the transportation industry, and then you jump to something completely net new and maybe more of a traditional conservative um, type of business. Um, How did, you know, how did you leverage uh, your experiences in the past as a leader into a new industry? Because you could easily be pegged as, well, this is just the, the transportation guy, right? So, you know, this isn't relevant, you know, weighing mail or, you know, that type of situation but obviously change management and communication are always the same right it's always the same challenges and getting people to believe right and, and take chances so what were a couple moments
0: there that you you know do you, can you does anything
1: stick out for you
0: yeah you know I purposely mentioned the whole Loomis thing and getting that first job in technology which really changed the trajectory of my career when I got to Arbor I you know there's a couple things I did that were slightly different but um, I went on a road trip and visited all the branches and said hi to everyone and got to understand what they did, got to understand the culture. Uh, with that, I understood some of the challenges. So I wasn't just doing the same thing I did in transportation. I had to modify my approach, seeing how the culture was radically different. Um, there were little things I did, like I bought a suit that, that everyone in the field wears. So when I showed up at places, you know, I looked like um, yeah, I, looked the part. I looked the part. I wasn't the transportation guy. I was one of them. I think that was really important. Um, Interesting. Yeah. A, a, another big thing that I found is, you know, technology's changed so much since 1996 when I started at Loomis. We all have devices in our hands. We all have laptops. I mean, we're, we're much more uh, technically savvy than, than the average person was 20 years ago. And I think with that, back in the day, it was really an IT black box, right? So when I would do things in the warehouse, when I would implement technology, there was a little bit of... Just relax. Don't worry. I'll figure this out, um, and you'll just see the results. I think nowadays, with everyone's um, understanding of technology, you know, and and passion for it, right? Like if you talk to people about how they watch TV or how they communicate, you know, they're really passionate about social media. They're really passionate about some of the technology that drives their social uh, interactions. Um, that passion is going to bleed through and work. So. With that, instead of that uh, black box approach, I need to take a more integrative approach and start getting people to get engaged in the technological solutions. Whether I do exactly what they say or at least take snippets of it so they feel they're being listened to, then I find adoptions a lot better. So I do have a bit of an analogy for this that I do think IT leaders need to move from doctors, right? Where they're prescribing technology. Hey, John, take this BlackBerry, you'll feel better in the morning. And you're like, I don't wanna take the BlackBerry, but fine to therapists, right? And um, instead of prescribing solutions, you're, you're saying, lie back on the couch, tell me your problems, and let's talk through this together. And so I find that approach of, um, yeah, I might be, you know, quote, unquote, the technology expert, but so are you, and I value your opinion, and we should really have a conversation about, about this. Um, there's a lot that comes with that, though, because not everyone is as technically savvy as you need to make those decisions. So there's a lot of pressure on me as an IT leader to break down concepts and technologies into really understandable chunks so that when I do present to the CEO or even to the frontline worker, when I'm talking about, you know, uh, different aspects of technology, I'm talking in a way that they can understand and they can have input on the decision making. Now, not saying that's perfect. <laughs> I still have yeah, a yeah. lot of change management challenges, but it mitigates some of it, right? So that things are a little bit easier. and. Um, you know, uh, just a quick story that as a peer leader, we did a huge mobile program. It was probably the biggest mobile change in Canada at the time. And I remember deploying these scanners and the whole thing blew up. And so I went across the country with the change and, and so I could look drivers in the eye. And and one driver came off the road in, in Saskatoon. And um, I said, how was how, how was your day with the new scanner? And he threw the scanner at me. I got my head and I caught it. <laughs> it was like, he's like terrible. I hate this, this and that. And I said, okay, hold on. And I called up my IT department. I said, okay, this is what... So speak into the phone and tell them what you hated about it. And he did. And then I cradled the scanner and I said, watch this. And you could see the scanner turn on and someone was logging in. And then he came... The next day he came in with the same scanner and I said, how was it? He threw it at me again. And he goes, a lot better, <laughs> right? But you know, that was a, that was sort of the seed for me to say, yeah, there's still anger there. There's still frustration because it's different. Yep. It was slightly mitigated because of that engagement. So I really try now... Uh, in in the later stages of my career to force that type of engagement again that's through uh, really bringing concepts in terms people can understand and having a two-way conversation and in some some cases dressing and talking like you know the frontline workers so they feel comfortable right exactly I think that's important and too often IT people miss that right because we're so in a different world and I think we've got to bridge that gap
1: Awesome. I'm going to bring you back to the leadership therapy couch that you uh, uh, that you just spoke of. Um, change gears a little bit. So bring yourself back to when you're 18 years old. What would you give yourself some advice uh, around leadership if you had to go back now? Now you're you're looking at yourself on the on the therapy couch.
0: Right. So uh, as you can probably tell by this podcast, I talk really quickly. I get super excited uh, and I think passion's good. When I was 18, I was uh, I would I would in a very complimentary way say I was wildly passionate, but I don't think it was a very uh, complimentary uh, passion perspective, right? Where it was almost yep. forceful, and and I just really believe in this, and 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 you got to believe in it too. And it was almost like a battle, right? I'm going to force you to believe in what I believe through passion, and um, and what I you know my my 18 year old self as I spoke, I would just get louder and louder and louder. And I figured that was the way to convince people. I remember um, those days, Kurt. Uh, yeah, probably. Um, scarred from it as I'm sure many are. But, uh, you know, today I think the passion, I would say, hey, keep the passion, but bring some empathy, right? And I think I think that's the passion. Empathy has gotta be one of the best ways to get people on board. Like, I, I totally believe in this, but I I get your perspective. Yeah, and Let's talk to your perspective And let's have a conversation. And then hopefully by the end of it, you'll be as passionate as I am. But if you're not, at least you're more on board. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We need more of that in this world.
1: Right. Uh, One final question for you, Kirk. Um, And it's what we try to, it's our sort of key question on our podcast is if you go back in time to any period of time throughout history, um, you could have a drink with an exceptional leader. Um, Who would you pick? Sort of what questions would you ask them? Line of questions and then uh, most importantly, what would be your
0: beverage of choice? Right. Uh, so I would say Joan of Arc. Um, and, and a lot of it goes in, wow. in line with uh, with the stream of consciousness from this conversation. I believe she was exceptionally passionate and rallied a lot of people. And not only did she rally a lot of people to her cause, but even after death, there was sort of this perspective of her. Like It's almost like her passion and her conviction resonated through time. And uh, so I think that that's amazing. And then, you know, um, I think the questions I would ask her like, do you ever think you're wrong? <laughs> like, you know, sometimes yeah. passion needs to like be. Are active, you really sure? Right. <laughs> With some uh, introspection. So just, and I would love to know about um, if she is introspective because she did some amazing things and you can't do that on passion alone. There is a real uh, level set of, you know, where are my weaknesses? What do I need to work on? How do I get here? Right. To, to do what she did. So I think. A lot of it would be around how does he um, maintain that passion at the same time, work on um, that introspective nature to become better. Yeah, and, with and that I intellectual
1: think, honesty, right? With the passion.
0: hundred percent. Right. Yeah. And then if we, uh, absence, I, I would, of course, I think with her, I would drink absence just to see if oh. <laughs> she drank enough, if maybe, you know, St. Michael would speak to her again or something, but uh, absence would be the absolute That would be the
1: drink. That's awesome, Kirk. I, um. Thank you so much for your time today. Really great to reconnect over. Uh, we've stayed in, you know, within boardrooms on rugby pitches and, and uh, different places throughout our, our lives. But uh, really want to say thank you. You've been uh, really some exceptional insights into, into your leadership and uh, wish you all the best. And we'll be in touch soon.
0: Thank you, John. I'm sure I'll see you on the ice come winter. I hope so. I hope so. That concludes
1: our uh, leadership podcast. Uh, Everyone tune in next time and uh, hope you enjoyed the day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. This edition of Exceptional Leaders has been powered by Forward Pass Group, leaders in executive search, outsourced human resources, and assessments.